back a brand spanking new season of the Telly Award-winning podcast. Coming at you like Jules Winfield, laying mushroom clouds, hitting like Superfly TNT, like the guns of the Navarone, all that shit that Jimmy Walker used to talk about. I am Rylan Grant. Screenwriter, Ringle Award-winning creator of fine comics like Aberrant, Van Jackson, now Fashang Origins, the other voice in the dark, the man in the box to the left is... Uh, David Avalone, comic book writer, TV writer, 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 and uh, retired picketer. Nice, thank God. Strike is over as of yesterday, yes. right? Uh, yes. It- if you missed any of our previous conversations, episodes featuring comic luminaries like David F. Walker, Matt Fraction, Stan Sakai, Kevin Eastman, Rodney Barnes, and many, many more, our entire catalog can be celebrated via YouTube, uh, Apple Pods, and other purveyors of worthwhile ear cracks. So double on back and check it all out. Uh, are you back to work, Avalone? What's going on? Well, you know, comics never went on strike, so I've, I've been working all along. Uh Sure. Got some new stuff coming in the new year. I think the only thing I can talk about is Elvira meets H.B. Lovecraft. N- a number one should be out in February. Nice. Um, see how Elvira gets along with a dead racist ghost. You know, should be should be good, clean, wholesome, all American, yeah. fun with. Hopefully, she throttles him. Yeah. Uh, she's a little <laughs> negative. She's a little negative towards his uh, towards his attitudes. He's got to come. Uh, yeah, that's I'm working on a bunch of other stuff that'll uh, drawing blood will be coming from Image I think in March. Yeah. Fingers crossed. We're I think we're doing the solicits for that this week, uh, and that's it. How about you? What do you got going on? Uh, yeah, back to work to a certain degree. It's, it, it's funny. It's like you know everybody's excited. Oh, you know, uh, you know, SAG's done. We can finally get back to work. But it's like, well, the strike ended just in time for like the town to start winding down. Yeah, I mean, the, the joke has always been, well, you, you can't sell anything after Thanksgiving. It's almost Thanksgiving. Uh, um, there has been some movement. Uh, William Morris, uh, the IP division, took out um, uh, the jump. Uh, oh, fun! In a slow, uh, you know, sort of rollout. But there's already a lot of interest. Uh, we're already starting to talk to some people. Yeah, so. I don't think this is going to be the usual Thanksgiving to Sundance dead zone because they got nothing to put in movie theaters next summer, and yeah. they got sure as shit nothing to put on. Uh, TV screens next fall. So I think we're going to see a lot of frenzy in 20 hour days between now and and February. Yeah. We'll see. There's a lot of confusion in general right now, which is, which is usually never a good thing, but, but it was, um, I mean, it was funny. Uh, uh, so it, when the writer strike ended, um, you know, I, I, uh, I, I sent my agent an email being like, Hey, uh, do we have any sense of, you know, when the jump is, is going to roll out or whatever. And um, you know, to his credit, he gives me a call about 40 minutes later. And but he sounds like he just like sprinted like 10 miles. And he's like, Hey man, uh I I, I know I owe you this and I owe you that. He's like, it's insane right now. Yeah, no, that's, <laughs> he's, that's, like, that's, he's, like, he's like, I haven't slept literally since they announced. Uh, uh yeah, six minutes after uh, uh the article hit uh hit deadline, uh uh the email started rolling in. Sure. Uh, I literally have twelve hundred emails to an uh, to he's he's like it, it's in the queue, we're gonna get to it, we're gonna do you right. He's like, you don't have to call, you don't have to write. He's <laughs> he's like, I'll right. let you know. And 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 it's come, but it's um yeah, there's uh there is a tsunami. There's probably a bigger tsunami now that actors are actually involved because with the jump, it's like this thing's going out, 
and it's in the packaging phase, right? So who could they go out to? They could go out to directors. They could not right. go out to actors until you know, literally, uh, whatever it was, five p.m. yesterday or whatever. So, um, but we're back, and yes. uh, we are moving forward, and that is yeah. good news for us, and that is good news for uh, today's guest, who happens to yes, be. Yes, as, as they, speaking of guy. writers and actors yeah. and writers who are also actors, yeah. uh, let's bring on our guest, Kevin. Hey, how you guys doing? Howdy, hey, howdy. Man. There's that voice. I missed it, yeah. man. It's been too long. I guess it has been. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, tell, the been. tell the kids at home a little bit about yourself, Kevin. Well, I am an actor, writer, director, producer, and comic book creator. You know, I also do voiceovers and the like. So, you know, kind you of You do voiceovers. That's crazy. I can't believe it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I kind of have my hands in a lot of cookie jars. You know, sure. So that's pretty cool. Those, those are good cookie jars, and, and and we should get it out of the way right off the bat. So Kevin and I, I how long have we known each other, man? It's been at least ten years, but uh, uh, yeah, I think we met right after I did I Frankenstein. You know, we were yeah. trying to do a project together, yeah. And the look for whatever reason, the lawyers just would not talk to each other. It was the craziest thing I have ever experienced. Well, and it's calling it, each other. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it, it's funny how friendships are built in Hollywood because a lot of times it's like, um, you know, you you end up in, in foxholes with people, right? Yeah. And you sort of dove in from you dove in from different you know sides, but you experience this like horrific shelling together, and exactly. it either it either it either like makes you never talk to each other again, or it makes you stay in each other's orbit. It's like, oh, I can trust that guy because yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I don't think it was anything that, that we yeah. did. We all yeah. agreed, you know, we took it to the lawyers yeah. and it's almost like the lawyers would not pick up the phone and it call was, each it, other. Yeah, it, it, it was pretty ugly. But 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 so the story of 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 us meeting from yes. from, from from my side and, and my right. my film TV writing partner, uh, Deacon Ernekian, what, what, what was was very funny. It was very humorous because so so you had this project. Uh, yes. It's called called Alias Rex, which is a great yes. comic book, and, yes. it, and it's a dark it's a dark storm title. We're going to talk about your your comic imprint here yes, a lot. Yes, yes. Uh, we'll talk more about that. But great book. Everybody should go out and get it. And if you're in Hollywood, it's probably still available. And uh, and, and, and you should you should come and talk to us about an epic uh, a TV adaptation of it because it's right. right. You're right. Yeah. You're right, you're yeah. Right, yeah. Right. So, so Hollywood folks that are listening, go read Alias Rex because it's awesome. But so, so my writing partner and I, we get called and it's like, Hey, here's this comic book. Read it. We read it. We, we love it. They're like, do you want to take a meeting on this? Do you want to meet the creator? And we're like, absolutely. This is great. This sounds, this sounds great. This feels like a movie. This feels like a TV show. Let's sit down. Let's, let's work it out. Um, and so we literally have no idea who we're meeting. Right. I mean, right. You, you, th you think of standard comic book creator. We think we're going. We, th we think we're going to meet like David Pepos, right? <laughs> uh, uh, you, you, know, you know what I'm just saying? Just standard comic book creator guy, right? Yeah. No, I, no idea. And so we're waiting outside this meeting. We're early. We're hanging out outside. And the one thing we knew about Kevin uh, was that he was a Minnesota Vikings fan. That was the only thing we knew. Um, and so suddenly, like, we turned to the side. And this guy comes walking around the 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 uh, the corner, right? And how tall are you, Kevin? Like, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm only six two. I'm not. You're only six two. Yeah, only yeah, six yeah, 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 yeah. But but uh, you know, but 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 you are uh, you are you are formidable. You uh, right. it might be six two, but it's like an Arnold Schwarzenegger six two. I mean, he is he's a big guy. 
uh, and he is he is wearing purple uh, from like head to toe. He's he's got like a I, I think you had a probably a Randy Moss gamer on. And, and uh, it wasn't Randy Moss, but um, I don't know what it was. I, I, I don't know what it was. You 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 probably went defense that day. Uh, yeah, 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 uh, my, yeah. my my memory is foggy, but 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 we look, and Dick Brown's like, "There's no way it's that guy, right?" I'm like. You know, look, dude. He's you know he's 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 repping he's repping purple, man. <laughs> that, 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 that's got to be him. And I'm like, oh, I'm like and, I, and I'm I'm like Kevin. And then and then you're like, you know, the the voice comes out, hello, you know. And, and I was like, whoa. And and, and 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 you have this you have this presence that has served you well forever. I mean, there's a reason why oh, yeah. you're the reason why your IMDb. If you look at Kevin's IMDb, it's like it, it's it's uh it, it's stacked. I mean, he's he's been in some of the greatest TV shows ever. He's had great movie roles. He's uh uh, uh you know, done done great uh, uh cartoon voiceover, all of these things, but he is an immediate presence and 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 so so it hits us on that day and we sort of immediately fall in love with this guy as like a as as, as a writer as a personality all of these things but it was this thing it was this gun we had in the holster every time we had a meeting i remember like we would walk into an agency and the agency people hadn't met you and it's dick Ron and i who walk in looking like literally every hollywood writer that that's that, <laughs> that you've ever met and then here is kevin it, you know we walk in with uh with with the werewolf from underworld <laughs> <laughs> it was just always so good it was like my favorite oh, thing just, yeah 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 anyway yeah yeah the uh my wife this is the smallest of all small connections but my right. wife did costumes on uh chuck and when right. that show wrapped we knew what yvonne strahovski was going on to so as a wrap gift i gave her my old copy my old paperback copy of frankenstein that okay. I bought in college for her <laughs> right. to read before she worked on your project. <laughs> so if Yvonne That's came to cool. set prepared, it's because I bought her Frankenstein. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was cool. That was cool. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and so, so we've danced around a little bit, and and, and we'll get into the meat of this. But, yeah. but, but, but I, I mean, Kevin is always going to be. Um, he's very humble. Uh, uh, he he will not brag about. But so so I have from time to time been my name has been knocked about as as one of the most interesting men in comics with all the weird right. stuff i have going on the zen the poker but i think you put me to shame uh you know i i i i've known you for a long time i i knew a lot of these things seeing it all in writing at once is pretty overwhelming and in like a really right. good way but but so so kevin has a degree in microbiology from howard university sure he did he did graduate graduate work in genetic engineering uh and 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 maybe the the greatest genetic engineer the world has ever seen if hollywood hadn't come calling oh, uh, perhaps perhaps but i doubt it <laughs> yeah um and, and and so he he had this very storied acting career uh you know i mean all of the all of the um all of the great like sci-fi horror uh, 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 shows that we all know and love, Charmed, Angel, Buffy, uh, a lot of Star Trek. Uh, he was in Planet of the Apes, and then there is all this random stuff. Literally every time. So, so, so one of the big stories in in sports recently was right. oh well, Coach Dion in Colorado, right? And right. and when it seems like whenever something happens, Kevin's like, "Oh yeah, I remember when I was in this commercial with Dion." And then and then here's 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 the video of Kevin standing next to Dion Sanders in a commercial in 1990, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. And so, so, so you talk about the most interesting man in Hollywood, but it goes on and on. And then of course, like, I mean, a, a, a huge comic book career. I mean, you created, uh, you created the, the books that the underworld film franchise were, were based yeah, on. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, yeah. It wasn't a comic book then, okay. know, but I did yeah. some adaptations afterwards. Yeah. But yeah. I, but I Frankenstein was. I Frankenstein and, was. Yeah. And so, you know, that's kind of been my, you know, model to create IP that goes along with, you know, your film project, you know? Yeah. So with uh, King of Killers, I did the same thing. Really, you mentioned Alias Rex. I was on the same trajectory, you know, okay. there. So everything I do, I try to make sure I have comic book support, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, and so King of Killers is uh, Kevin just made his. It, it, I mean, your it is your feature directing uh, a debut. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I, I'm sure you've directed uh, you know uh, plenty of other stuff in the day, but but this this badass kick you in the teeth action joint starring uh, uh, Frank Grillo that you should all go out and see. Uh, yeah. I know I know you have a TV thing um, uh, out yes. there also, um, and so so again, uh, you know, pretty uh, pretty prolific career. And and so I think we can kind of back up and start unpacking that. Uh, yeah, I, okay. but, but, but I wanted to set the table because sure. okay. this is okay. an exciting one. Stick around, listen. Here we go. Were you were you a were you a writer at Howard? Like, were you have you always been writing, even when you were a microbiologist? That's the first. No, question. I have not. Uh, no, I was doing a little bit of artwork. Uh, in fact, that's one of my greatest regrets that I did not keep up my artwork, but I never thought that I would be in a creative industry trying to make a living either. You know, I was set on that academic path of being a research scientist. I, you know, had already worked at NIH and National Health Labs, you know, in the DMV. <clears throat> so I was on a completely different career trajectory. Uh, that is until Spike Lee came out, which she's got to have it. And, you know, I had always been, you know, a sci-fi fan, you know, science fiction fan. You know, I was a monster kid, this, that, and the other. And so to me, um, you know, I guess I was able to sublimate, you know, my love for science fiction by finding something more socially acceptable, which was real science. Right. And I guess the kind of estuary or bridge, you know, with that was dinosaurs, you know, because they were real monsters based in science, this, that, and the other, but they were also creatures and all that. But when Spike Lee came out with She's Gotta Have It, I was like, you know what? I didn't even know brothers did, you know, directed movies. And there was no one I knew in, what was it, 1986? It yeah, was even right. in the film department, even though Howard had a film department. Right. And, you know, when I, you know, discovered that, I was like, oh, this is what I want to do, but I was a senior and I can't change my major yet again. So, you know, my thing was, you know, I got into grad school, you know, at Howard, I was going anywhere I liked the area. And I was already working uh, as a, uh, a research assistant at NIH at the National um, Cancer Institute in the Laboratory of Biochemistry. So, you know, I just decided to, you know, the next semester, uh, after I graduated, I finished my undergrad coursework. Uh, I decided to take two curriculums while I was in grad school in a master's program. And I decided whichever one won out, that was the one I was going to do. And, you know, I was actually writing a script um, 
you know, it, in fact, it was my first script uh, while I was in seminar, genetic seminar. And that's the extent of the writing I did while I was at Howard, but that was in grad school, like I said. And I was like, you know what? This is it. You know, I, I withdrew from the program and just tried, you know, with earnest to break into the film industry. It's just that, you know, how do you do it from DC? <clears throat> and the fact that I didn't know anyone either, you know, that was, uh, that was kind of, that presented a, an, an obstacle to say the least. Of course. And so, uh, it took me a while to figure it out. You know, I finally moved out here uh, when I was 28 and got the ball rolling. And then you uh, you were doing extra work for a bit. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, not a bit. A lot. <laughs> yeah, no, I, yeah. I, 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 I saw that. I, you know, I used to do it too. I, I actually recommend it to people. It's good to see a film set. From yeah, yeah. the point you of know, view of the person that's greeting treated like garbage by the entire crew. And yeah, uh, you know, you know, you're right. I've often told people that, you know, if you're smart, extra work can be the best free film school that you will ever attend. Hundred percent. And all you have to do is remember two things, be very observant and keep your mouth shut. Yep. And you know, I actually met Lynn Wiseman, you know, who directed our underworld film. Right. Because right. I was an extra on Stargate. Right. And, and you know, you know I, I always say to people, you know, there's this cliche when actors are trying to break in, they become waiters. Yeah. And I'm like, the number of times that I was, I was a grip for four years. The number right. of times as a grip, someone said, you know, he, he fits the suit. David, you're FBI agent number five today because uh, FBI agent number five <laughs> right. didn't show up. Like, I've gotten a lot of acting jobs from, being a first AD for a while, they're like, "Oh, you can, you know, you could play this sleazy drug dealer in this scene." Sure, fine, I'll play this. There scene. you go. You know, there like you know. so. The idea that I, I've met a lot of beginning actors who were good, who were good actors, but the first time they step on set, you know, cast in an under five or something, they're overwhelmed with the experience of being on a set. They don't know what anybody's doing. They Ooh, don't know what the workflow exactly. is. They don't know where to stand. And if you've been an extra or a PA or a hundred other things, that's a thousand times better than any day job. We're like, oh, they'll let me free to do an audition every once in a while. Everybody who says that is in a position where they're not getting that many auditions to begin with. Yes. And you're you're better served coming to Los Angeles, be an extra. You know, all the people are like, oh, I'll, you know, then they'll never see me as an actor. Nonsense. Being an extra has not yeah. ever stopped someone if you're talented, because, you know, you know this, Kevin, an extra who can act is worth their weight in gold. Exactly. You, know, you always need the person standing next to Shatner who's like up to the level of like, holy shit, there's a giant alien ship on the screen. And if they can't deliver that, they're ruining the whole movie. Just standing there silently ruining the whole movie. So, you know, I remember hearing, you know, these myths and scuttlebutt that have, uh, yeah. Someone sees you doing extra work. They're not going to look at you as an actor. I'm like, get out of here. It's bullshit. You, you know, you know if, if, if that's the way they think, they're extremely myopic. Yeah. Extremely, no. you know. Yeah. They, no, and it's, more, it's, it's so ridiculous. much more likely, if you're good, that people go like, hey, uh, let's, let's give Kevin a line. Exactly. <laughs> Instead of just standing there guarding the door with his arms folded, maybe he says something to Captain Picard as he walks by. You know, like, yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, you know exactly. Now it wasn't going to happen on Star Trek. No, because yeah, 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 yeah. But 
you know, on other shows, yeah, that's how I would get on that and doing stunt work because yeah. I saw that, you know, by being observant, that they were acting, asking extras to do things that stuntmen would get paid to do. Yeah. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, I can do that. You yeah. know, and so my first stunt job was on uh, Batman Forever. Where I played one of Harvey Two Thugs. And I I basically uh, manipulated that like you would not believe. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, we went down to the uh, Spruce Goose, uh, Spruce, Spruce Goose uh, oh, yeah. for the audition. And I think I was one of the last guys chosen, you know, because of my size, my build, this, that, and the other. And Joel Schumacher went around looking at us. He's like, you, you, you. And then looked at me and was like, and you. <laughs> but like I said, I was there as an extra. Yeah. And all the other guys that got chosen were stuntmen. I'm like, how does this work? Mm-hmm. You know, and there, and so what I did, I got to know some of the stuntmen. And do you know I would show up as an extra because I knew where the stuntmen were going to be. And one day, you know, one of the, I, I guess he was a stunt uh, stunt court uh, assistant stunt coordinator. Uh he saw me at, you know, where one of the sets was, you know, in fact, it was at the Spruce Goose. And he was like, Kevin, you know, uh, what are you doing here? Yeah, I heard Harvey Two Thugs, you know, uh, you know, Two-Face uh, Thugs are supposed to be here. He says, yeah, but that was for the stuntman. I'm like, well, you know, I do, you know, I could do stunts. This, that, and the other. <laughs> he says, yeah, well, you know. And so I left, but there was this other brother who was late. And Conrad Palmasano, who was a stunt coordinator, said, did I just see Kevin here? He says, yeah. <laughs> and he says, well, the other guy didn't show up. Where's Kevin? Sign him up right now. Oh, I sent him home. You sent him home. And so I got a call the next week. Kevin, report to work as a stuntman. I'm like, there you go. Yeah. And the thing about being a stuntman is that you generally make more money than the day player actors yeah. because you get adjustments, you know, for you know, hitting the ground, doing certain things, it's more active. And believe it or not, they they throw you a lot of lines. I mean, I remember I have auditioned for things that I did not get going to the casting director and going to the stunt department. They were like, Oh yeah, we need you. Yeah. I'm like, look at this. You know, and so one of the things that I tell people is that uh you have to find a way when you come to Hollywood regardless of what you want to do, find a way to uh, kind of diversify your creative lexicon. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. You know, so you just don't do one thing, learn to do other things, and you can oscillate between all of those and always have a job and always work. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. No, you're you're singing my favorite song because I, you know, if you look at my IMDb page, it's complete chaos. It's grip, it's camera, it's directing, it's... ADing, it's all that, and it's like, look, if you understand, if you understand how films are made. None of those jobs is rocket science. I'm sorry, they're not. Like, I've been exactly. a script supervisor. I was not a great supervisor, script supervisor, but I was good enough to give an editor notes that would work. Exactly. You know, and I was an editor, and you know that made me a better filmmaker. All that stuff, uh, and you know, it's great that they, you know, that I've I've had that extra thing happen to me where the principal turns to me and starts talking to me and you can't say anything. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, and the thing is, it looks so crazy. Like It does. It you does. Know, I remember, like, that was the real problem on Star Trek. 
Yeah. All this, you know, all of them. You know, they were apparently before I got into the industry, and I guess it happened on the next generation, there began to be arguments amongst the, you know, stand-ins or extras or whatever as to who is going to be upgraded and all of that stuff. And it just became so petty. The producers yeah. were like, you know what, we'll never do that again. Mm-hmm. And so I remember, uh, you know, you would have like some of the bartenders right. talking to Captain Picard and Picard would say something, it would be like, and I'm like, yeah, why is they yeah. saying anything? And it, and it looks crazy. And, and the only thing I can think of, you know, because I do extra work is that, yeah, I didn't want to pay him. The funniest show to watch for it, it's such a weird-ass reference, but man, every episode of The Love Boat has a moment where Captain Steubing walks up to a couple of extras every episode and yeah. says, how you guys doing? You having a good time? And they do this. they open their mouths wide and shake their heads and they can't I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. No one can say, yeah, it's great, Captain Steubing. Exactly. (laughs) It's it's, it's, it's completely ridiculous. I had an extra bit in Deep Impact that was cut out of the movie and I was in a room with like a hundred people dressed in absolutely bogus NASA uniforms. NASA right. doesn't wear uniforms, guys. <laughs> right. I kept saying it's not Starfleet. <laughs> you know, it's NASA. <laughs> They're civilians. They wear concert t-shirts. That you know, it's not. Mm. But I'm standing there in my jumpsuit, and the scene is uh, Robert Duvall, retired astronaut, comes back to the base for the first time mm-hmm. in 20, 30 years or whatever. Take seven, Bobby Duvall gets bored and decides that I am his oldest, dearest friend at NASA and walks up and embraces me warmly and says, hey, man, how you doing? Long time no see. And all I can do is, I can't answer your questions, Robert. I can't. I would love to say something to you. Uh, Oh, my goodness. And, of course, I'm also thinking, I was five when you retired from NASA, dude. I'm not old exactly. enough. To be here. Am I literally the only guy in this room with a touch of gray in my hair? Is that why I'm having oh, this man. moment? So, so I have done a little extra work also, okay. and 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 sometimes, I mean, I, I played a dead body on CSI one time, and 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 you know, like, you know, to it, I, I always joke that that was like the highlight of my Hollywood career. I just got to like sit, sit on a table, but but that was a friend That's of a bad. friend you know, did a little bit here, a little bit there, but, but there was a time, and this is years ago where because of my tax situation, I needed, um, uh, I had done so much independent contractor work that I needed to balance with a W2, like the littlest bit of it. My accountant said, yeah. go out and do something. And so somebody's like, Hey, why don't you just, you know, go down to central casting and, and put your name in, get your photo taken. And at that point, you know, I, I, I used to, I mean, when you first met me, Kevin, I, I, sh- I shaved my head for like 17 yeah. years. So I had this, yeah. you know, had this shaved head. I was in, uh, I, I, I was, you know, doing P90X uh, uh, six days a week then. So, right. you know, in great shape. And so I go in and I, I get my picture taken and, um, and, and suddenly like every cop show, uh, uh, you know, every cop show that was filming then starts calling me, right? Hey, uh, hey, yeah, you look the part. You look like, uh, you know, young cop number two. You look like this. You look like that. And then they get right. me on set. They get me on set, and I was a writer, and I mostly write, I mostly write action stuff, police procedure, exactly. the whole nine yards. So I actually, you know, I've handled a gun before. Uh, uh, I I study procedure. Um, uh, so. I, I move like a cop, you know, I, I, I know yeah. how to approach, I know how to approach a car. I know all of right. these things. 
And it's like you're talking about where it's like very quickly, you know, there was an army of people, you know, assistant directors and the like that are watching everyone. And, and they, they're looking for people like me in this Ooh. case being like, right. oh, he knows what he is doing. So so let's move these guys to the side. And, you know, this guy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, this close up we need. He's the guy that's coming in. And, and it's like you're saying, oh, well, we need to give somebody a line. How about the guy that's been kicking ass all day? Right. Exactly. Um, you know, and, and then it was funny because it's like I, I, I did maybe, you know, I did maybe two shows and um, and knocked it out of the park every time. It, it was the same thing. It's just like this guy's this guy's a cop. And for like months afterwards, literally every time they needed, you know, every time they needed a couple of extra cops, I got called yeah. by Central Casting and they would like try and talk me in. It's like, no, they really liked you on the other thing. It's the same AD. They they, they want you to come play <laughs> right, cop right, again. Right. Yeah. And, and who knows? I mean, you know, who knows if, if uh, in, in some other alternate universe right now, I was a, uh, I became a series regular on the shield or something like that. <laughs> exactly. And I, I, and, I, and I'm, I'm some great actor right now. My, but, uh, my favorite reaction I ever got from an AD, I did a mini series called Bella Mafia. Uh, it was a big scene. It was a mafia wedding and they had cast me and I'm an Italian guy from New Jersey. They right. had cast me as a waiter. And when I showed up the set, the AD looked at me and said, they cast you as a waiter? I'm standing here with all these blonde people at an Italian wedding, and you, you, they didn't put in a tuxedo and make you one of the friggin' mafia get? Okay. Whatever, man. <laughs> okay, so, so you know what, David? I'm going to uh, get a little personal with you. So, Go ahead. When did you, when did you move to California? 87. Okay, now... I uh, I spent some time in New Jersey too. You know, I right. lived in Jersey from '72 to '80. When you know, before we moved out to California. Sure. Now, what part of New Jersey where are you from? Central New Jersey, New Brunswick, East Brunswick, around yeah, there. Yeah, because I'm from Franklin Township. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, right yeah, 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 yeah. So it was right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So went to Franklin High, St. Pius. You know. So anyway, uh, when I first got to California coming from New Jersey, and I'm yeah. a huge pizza fan, right? Okay. So uh, <laughs> I, you know, we moved to Oakland. That's where we first uh, moved to my senior year in high school. And my father said, we're watching a ball game. Why don't you order a pizza? And I'm like, okay, cool. So there was this place called Round Table Pizza. <laughs> and, you know, I ordered, you know, two pies, oh. you know, you know, get it home. Oh. And I open it up and I'm like, what's this? What the hell is that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you know, and I taste it. I'm like, oh my goodness, this tastes like, yeah. you know, frozen, you know, you know, you know, pizza, you know, oh, yeah. and I'm like, just completely different. I was telling my wife that's, you know, the story the, uh, the other day. And it's like, this is ridiculous, you know? So it was well, kind of a culture shock. Oh, yeah. Now, the first time I walked into pizza parlor in L.A. in 87, I'm sure you remember this, you couldn't get a slice anywhere. No. You had to buy a whole pie pretty much anywhere you went. So and weird. I walked into a place on Melrose called New York Pizza Express. And they were like, what do you want? I was like, yeah, just give me one slice of pie. And they're like, and they literally said to me, we don't have desserts here. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I know. It's like this crazy. And I said, you know what? You know what pizza translates into in English? <laughs> uh, I certainly hope you have pie here. Uh, but oh no, I will tell very as quickly as I can my favorite New Jersey pizza anecdote. You know, the 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 cliche is that in New York City it's the water that right. makes the pizza bullshit. That's that's not crazy ass nonsense. No, it's the mafia. 
uh, that makes the pizza consistently good. And here's how I know it. I became very friendly with my local pizza guy. His name was Vinny. Vinny's yeah. Pizza and Subs. The most New Jersey thing ever. That place had four owners when I was a kid. Frank, followed by Vinny, followed by a different Frank, followed by a different Vinny. So, All right. you know, it seesawed between assorted Franks and Vinnies. But the second Vinny was a really great guy, Vinny Vasta. And I'm standing, hanging out with him sort of behind the counter. And I see the giant bucket of polio mozzarella. And I say to him, man, I've seen that bucket of polio mozzarella in every pizza place I've ever been in my entire life. And Vinny says, yeah, or else. <laughs> and I said, what? What are, you, what, are you, what are you talking about, man? And he said, haven't you ever wondered why the pizza is uniformly great everywhere in New York and New Jersey, and it all kind of tastes the same? And he told me this story when he took over the joint. He was refinishing the countertops or something at midnight one night. And he says, limo pulls up. Guy looks like you, comes out of a guy in a black suit. Yeah. Walks in and says, hey, I'm your local field representative from Roma Foods and Lasanti Foods. I've got this. Uh, I've got this order form filled out for you. <laughs> you know? And he says, "You're going to do great business here, Vinny. Look, you know, you're going to have what eight tables. You're going to do a great takeout. We think this will meet your needs." And he's like, "No one needs to put a gun in your mouth. You just go, <laughs> guys. Here at midnight with the order form. I think I'll f like." He's like, "It's reasonable. The stuff is not overpriced. It, they yeah. they want you to survive, and they want the pizza to be good when they come and have some." So, you know, and, and true story, he told me when he was telling me this story, he's like, remember a couple of years ago when Carmen left, Carmen Carmine had been one of his uh, pizza bakers. And I said, yeah, he's like, so that guy shows up again one day and says, hey, Vinny, uh, the, the register been a little light lately. How's that? You, how's business doing? He's like, yeah, it's been a little slow. He's like, you playing Carmine enough to lose two, three hundred dollars at the track every week, or not so much? And he goes, "What?" And he's like, "Carmine's into us for a couple hundred bucks every week the last five weeks. We got to assume you're not paying Carmine enough to be losing three hundred dollars at the track." Every oh week. my goodness! That three hundred dollars is coming from somewhere, Vinny. We think <laughs> it's coming. We think it's coming from your your uh, your cash register. And Vinny <laughs> walks in and confronts Carmine and Carmine, you know throws his apron down on the floor and leaves in a huff and we never see him again. Hopefully no one had to kill him or break his legs. <laughs> but right. anyway, sorry for the non-comic book or television related. Uh, <laughs> exactly. But I'm always evangelizing for why, why actually. And when people don't believe that, when people say, oh, you're crazy. I'm always like, you've seen The Godfather. What is Vito's business? What is Vito's actual business? Genco olive oil. Right. <laughs> like yeah. He's a food importer. In Manhattan, <laughs> like, yep. who do you think he's selling that food to, guys? Exactly. Do that. It's it's funny. The my, my Yahoo News email uh, today uh, uh, included something from it was like ten members of the Gambino crime family indicted for threatening someone with a baseball bat. They were trying to they, they were trying to take uh, control of some garbage routes, and I'm like, is this? Is this 1987? Like this is no. this is still going on? <laughs> like like that is the right. it's the biggest cliche I've ever heard in my life. Like this is still happening, but it you know yeah. it, it is what it is. Yeah. The world is, is 
Yeah, and it's you know, and it's been that way for a very long time, and it's been unchanged yeah. for a very long time. But I want to talk about the transition. So you're doing extra work, you get in the occasional acting role, yes. and then you start writing. Uh, yeah, I, I started with Underworld. No, well, that was the first thing I sold. Right. You know, uh, I had a couple of scripts that went out, mm -hmm. but you know, of course, I was unrepresented even after Underworld. Uh, it's kind of it was kind of hard to get an agent, <clears throat> and you know, a, a lot of people looked at me when I would come in, and you know, they were kind of incredulous that you know, here I am, whatever I am, and they're like, "Well, you write science fiction?" You know, they didn't really get that. You know, they expected me to write hood movies and all that stuff, and it's like, "No, nah, that's not me. This is what I do," <clears throat> and so you know. You know, people are, you know, you know, really hesitant, this, that, and the other. Um, but my thing was, I was just writing, learning the craft until such a time as I got an opportunity. And, you know, Underworld uh, was that first opportunity that really went somewhere. You know, before then, you know, you would meet a, a, a bevy of different producers from studio producers to you know, people like Charlie Band, <laughs> you know, nice. and, and, yeah, yeah. and when you're trying to make it, you know, you don't know how discerning you actually have to be. You know what I'm saying? Oh, and course. so your thing is, hey, look, if you like my script, you know, I'll sell it to you. Or it's like, yeah, maybe we can make a deal, but you don't realize that, you know, maybe that's not the guy right. you want to work with, yeah. you know? Um, and so, you know, but fortunately, like I said, uh, Underworld was my first produced script and that was an ordeal in and of itself because yeah. I wasn't represented at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's a lot of capitulation, you know, uh, you know, you had a new, you know, I was a new writer, you know, Lynn was a new director. Uh, and then you, you know, you, you know, so people were hesitant to take a chance, but then there was the more myopic thing that I never ever considered that the people who, you know, the buyers, you know, or the people who made the decisions, I did not realize how myopic they were in terms of understanding genre and the like. And there were things like, like I remember one of the producers asked me when I was on set, you know, well, he pulled me aside. It's like, you know, Kevin, are people going to be able to, you know, tell the difference between you know, the lichens and the vampires. And I'm like, okay, you're asking me this now, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, as we're about to roll cameras, yeah. you know, and then there were people around Hollywood who just did not understand vampires and werewolves as actual races, you know what right. I'm saying, of individuals, you know, right. and then there were other people who didn't understand the bipedal snout nose creature as an actual werewolf. They right. they were used to Lone Chaney or Jack Nicholson and Wolf, mm -hmm. uh, Sabretooth of the oh. X-Men even. You oh, know, Jack I mean, Nicholson and you know, Wolf. I, I watched yeah. Wolf recently. <laughs> yeah. But, you I, know, did a werewolf, I did a werewolf issue of Elvira. Oh, where right. She jumped, where she jumped around in a bunch of the movies and the wolf... I, I, one thing that I had never thought of until I wrote that issue is the difference between a wolf man and a werewolf. Oh, yeah. That yeah. wolf man is the Lon Chaney walking up, you know, a, a, a human with a wolf head. 
as opposed to a werewolf, which is a exactly a, a bipedal wolf. Exactly, know? exactly. Yeah. And you know, um, like I remember when Lynn came to me, because you know the whole thing started with him. You know, mm -hmm. he uh, he was getting a lot of bad scripts when he was at uh, ICM, I think. You mm -hmm. know, trying to you know get his first project off the ground. And, you know, he had a meeting at, um, I think it was Dimension, and they wanted to do a werewolf project because Blade had done so well for the vampire genre. Okay. Mm -hmm. So he came to me and was like, well, you know, what do you think? You know, can you think we could do something? And I'm like, you know, I, I don't know. And the reason I said that is because, you know, werewolves traditionally are not as and I don't mean this in this particular way, but they're not as sexy as vampires. You know what yeah. I'm saying? But not yeah. as cool. And then there's a limitation because of the technology too. Sure. You know, the transformation is going to take you, you know, 20 minutes, <laughs> you know, because of, you know, because the makeup artists are full of themselves and want to see, you know, all this practicality, you yeah. know, the hair is going to be matted. And yeah. so it needs to be picked out after every shot, yeah, you know, tough. things like that, you know. And so <laughs> that presented a problem. And so I said, well, I don't know, man, you know, at least we should have a bipedal snout nose creature. If we do that, I'm down. So I came up with an idea that he liked. Um, but when we met to talk about the project, I had a friend of mine who you know, unfortunately had a bad experience with one of these, you know, big producers. And that experience was that he came in there with one idea and they didn't like it. Mm -hmm. And then he had nothing to talk about after right. that. It was like, and, and the way it went is that, you know, after your, you know, small talk, you know, <clears throat> they said, well, what do you got for me? And he's like, well, we have this Bigfoot project. And what we were thinking, and the guy's like, we already have something related to Bigfoot. Uh, <laughs> what, what else you got? And he looked at his partner and they were like, well, you know, that's it. The guy was like, well, okay. Well, you know, you guys come back in here with a good job and, you know, good idea. And let's get this bad boy rolling again. And they never got back in that room. Sure. Yeah. So I told, yeah, so I told Lynn, we got to have another idea. And he was like, well, you know, I don't know. And I said, I've been thinking. What if we do, you know, a Romeo and Juliet story, yeah. but instead of Montagues and Capulets, we have werewolves on one side, but vampires on the other and make it like this, you know, surrealistic star-crossed interracial love story against the backdrop of a 600 year old race war. Mm -hmm. And that is underworld. Right. And he, you know, folded his arms, you know, looked at his feet and was like, I don't know, dude, this is going to work. <laughs> and, and, you know, here we are. Yeah. You know? Right. right. And, and so, you know, but that kind of uh, myopia, you know, uh, in which a lot of producers don't understand that that's prevalent throughout all Hollywood and yeah. you just have to convince them. I mean, look at today's superhero uh, landscape. How many years have fans of comic books and superheroes been telling Hollywood you can do this? if you take it seriously. Now, yep. Yep. granted, the technology wasn't there to do everything, right. but you could do some things, you mm -hmm. know, and they didn't take it seriously. And now 
everyone's mad at Marvel because they've taken over. <laughs> you know, everyone knew. But you know, in you know, in terms of what you're saying, that the thing that the thing that I notice about the Kevin Feige verse of it all, yes, is every time Hollywood wanted to make a superhero movie, they would get a screenwriter they'd like. And they'd show him a bunch of comic books, and then he was supposed to come up with something, and it was always, hey, come up with something that was a, a new script based on those characters instead of doing the most obvious thing of, we have 70 years of stories to draw from. I know. Maybe pick one. Yeah. whole Thanos Infinity Stones thing. Maybe put that in a movie. Instead yeah. of wait for someone to come up with a good thing to do with Captain America. There, right. there, there's that, yes. But then also there is the, you know, I mean, I, I meet with these people all the time, just like Kevin does. And, and it's, it's what are the trailer moments? You know, what's the, what blows up? You know, what crashes? And, yeah. and, uh, and they are worried about that and not worried about what Kevin was just talking about. Because it's the beauty of Underworld is that it is about something. Right. Yeah. You know, you, 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 you grew up in this country as an African-American man uh, yeah. and, 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 you, and it was an uphill battle in any number of ways. Uh, uh, you, you talked about it yourself where you had never even considered being a filmmaker because it wasn't yeah. something that, that black men or just just, you know, African-American yeah. people in general were, were allowed to do. It wasn't even on, you know, and you fought your way in and, and, and look at you now. And then I'm, I'm, I'm sure you had experience uh, with interracial dating yes. and all these things that, that really affected you. And so all of all of this very real, very heavy stuff that you dealt with in your life, you channeled into a vampire versus werewolf story. Yeah. And so, exactly. so it is big and it is bad and it's full of fights and explosions and things crashing, but it is about something. It has heart, it has soul, it has very real social and political stakes. And, and that's when this stuff is good, you know, exactly. and, and Marvel at its best is good. And this stuff is only good. It is only watchable. It only lasts if you buy into that sort of thinking. Exactly. And I understand, you know, uh, them trying to introduce new characters because, you know, let's face it, there is a reality that these, the, the actors are not immortal. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And the more successful the movies are, the more they want to get paid. And Marvel's like, well, we can't afford that, you know, so let's bring in some new characters or whatever. But if yeah. you're not, if, if you're trying to check boxes and you're not trying to, and you're worried about that stuff and you're not, worried about the story you're telling and then making them overcomplicated. Sure. That poses a problem. Yeah. And then the scuttlebutt is that, you know, they don't want you as a creator, a writer, director to love the characters as they are in the comic books. They want you to love the version of the character that sure. they create. And now you're at a loss. Right. And now you're bobbing for apples trying to figure out what in the world does that mean? Because that's not the appeal of this mm -hmm. character. And then if people don't like it, then they get mad. Yeah. You know, and it's but, like, you know, but the, the thing that cracks me up is everybody complained that all the Marvel movies were the same. And then the latest phase Marvel movies are like, okay, they're all going to be wildly different and strange. And the TV shows are going to be different and strange. And I was like, oh no, we don't want that either. <laughs> yeah, we don't yeah, want yeah. another Avengers movie that's like all the Avengers movies that we loved. Oh no, we don't want the weird 
uh, witch on TV thing either. No, no, no. no yeah, don't do yeah, that. yeah. He knew, you know, but I, I, think, I yeah. I you appreciate know, he, that they've gotten a little experimental with it. They don't have to succeed if they're not boring me. You know what I mean? Right, 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 right. You know, you know, you know, it's hard because I think that there is a kind of simplicity mm-hmm. with, you know, both, you know, with storytelling. And all people want is a good story. They want clear good guys, clear bad guys, clear resolutions, a little mystery and intrigue, this, that, and the other. And it might be formulaic, but fine, as long as it's good. But yeah. don't try to get overly clever yeah. and clumsy, and it causes you to have a billion reshoots, and you still don't get it right because there you know, are 100 cooks in the kitchen, yeah. and everybody has a ladle. You know, yeah. and that's where it's like, oh, we don't, you know, you don't know what you're doing. And you that's know? actually where they lose the money, honestly. Like, yeah. they, for all the things about where, like, we, they, they think they pay us too much. They think this, you know, I, from the trenches, you know, my wife's a union customer. And, you know, no one can schedule for shit. Uh, oh, I a know. lot of TV directors can't make a day in 12 hours. That that's where the money is getting lost actually yeah like, yeah, he's yeah. 92 years old if he can make a 10-hour day you fucking can make a 10-hour day yeah know your coverage show show up prepared and you can knock this shit out but exactly uh, exactly you know, and you know one of the things i learned uh from a director friend of mine he's like kevin the most important thing for you to do is to make your days yeah you don't make your days. Now they got to tack something else on in the back end. And you have to decide how many takes you're going to do. Yep. Now, are the takes going to be perfect? Do you really have to have a perfect take? Because yeah. no one else is going to know but it's, you. It's it's the other it's the other uh, great Clint Eastwood story. He had someone else directing one. I think it was a Dirty Harry movie. Yeah. And there's a scene where three guys were coming to town to kill Dirty Harry. And the director was like on hour two of doing a single shot of three guys getting off a bus. Yeah. And, and Eastwood walks up behind him and says, this ain't a movie about three guys getting off a bus. <laughs> <laughs> and the other, the low budget version of that, uh, some friends of mine were working on a Z movie with Tanya Roberts called Sins of Desire. Right. And, and the, dire- the, the director and the, the director and the set, uh, the the production designer were arguing over the placement of a coffee table uh, right before a sex scene. And Zoran Hochstetter, great DP, done a million low budget movies, said, guys, the movie is not called Sins of the Coffee Table. I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's called Sins of Desire. No I, one gives a shit about I, I know, what the fucking know. coffee table is, man. You're not Ridley Scott. We're not spending I know. three hours <laughs> placing a coffee table. <laughs> but You're you know what's funny? I, I was in, once again, I was an extra. It's an extra story. I was on um, AI as oh. it was going to be a featured extra, right? And I overheard one of the set designers go up to Spielberg and she's like, Steven, everyone calls him Steven. Steven, sure. which, which silverware do you want to use? This one or that one? And he was like, oh, I don't care. He was like, well, you know, this one has this on it, and this one has a design that is more Victorian. He was like, oh, okay. And he just picked one. He picked one. He said, he was like, great. You know, I'm like, oh, my goodness. There's a there's a Truffaut, there's a Truffaut <laughs> thing in Day for Night where he's playing yeah. a director like he was. 
and someone walks up to him with two guns and says this one or this one. And he goes to the one on the left and he says, it doesn't matter what you choose. If you're directing a movie, just fucking choose. Just never, never let a, never let a crew member see you like really, really worry yourself over which handgun should the hero use in this scene. Just point at one. Exactly. Any, you're the director, whichever one you point at is right. Exactly. Yeah. It, it reminds me of the Michael Mann story where uh, uh, he's on set uh, uh, during Collateral, and this goes the opposite direction. Where um, you know, whatever they're, they're they're shooting in the cabin Collateral, and uh, you know he's he's in the middle of uh, in the middle of a take, and he's like, "Cut!" and he's like, "Why is there a green lighter in the ashtray or or or, or something <laughs> like that?" And and everybody's confused, like green green lighter. I you know what is and. And then finally, somebody gets the balls to be like, "Well, I, 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 I don't think it's in the shot, Michael. Does it? Do, you know, he's he's like, I wanted a, I wanted a red lighter, or I wanted a blue lighter, or whatever. And it's like, yeah, oh, but I, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I, I don't think it's in the shot, Michael. Does it? Does it matter? And, and he grabs the person and yanks them forward and says, "Everything matters." And there are a lot of directors who i think uh either have no control of themselves as human beings or or, or stage moments like that yeah yeah to drive home never ask me never tell me it's not in the frame so it doesn't matter yeah, yeah. i'm telling you move the green lighter <clears throat> You don't tell me it's not in the shot. Yeah, you yeah. say yeah, yes, you're right. Moving the green lighter, like that's the, and and honestly, I hate that shit. I think, yeah, I think a director who his who has a crew that's afraid of him is bad at his job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, a, he's a fucking failure as a human being and as an artist. And yeah, you can you can make a good movie that way, but you can also make a good movie with a bunch of people who are having a good time and exactly, not stressed exactly. out of their minds. Like it's. You know, cancer is not being cured. I know that's the oldest line in the world, but it really is true. Exactly. It, it should be fun, man. It should yeah, I mean, I, Exactly. I mean, you know, it's better than digging a ditch. You could be digging yeah. a ditch to make yeah. a living. You know I, I always saying? say, there you are. I always used to say drywall was my metaphor. I'm like, well, I'm not like when I was working on something that wasn't great. I would say, well, I could be putting up drywall, so but instead I'm doing this. So this yeah. is you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. instead I'm writing right. movies and and comic books. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. When, when, whenever I complain about my job, and I always feel like an asshole uh, complaining that I get to write movies and comic books for a living, but. You know what I always go back to is it beats working, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not yeah. work for me, right? I get to make up Ooh. stories. Oh, Sometimes I get yeah. to make up stories with people I love. Uh, like uh, I said, yeah. I you know, yeah. and especially you know, I once upon a time I was hanging up upside down from scaffolding with the tool belt on uh, for the Power Rangers. Like I don't, I I don't want to go back to that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't, exactly. don't, don't want to do that shit anymore. You know? I remember one summer I was yeah. painting houses. And you, man, you talk about painting. There were things that you had to do that I didn't realize painters had to do. Right. Like, you know, I thought basically, you know, you got a, some buckets, you know, you're wearing old clothes, get some paintbrushes. Yeah. And the guy was telling us we needed to scrape the entire house. Oh, yeah. I'm like, we need to do what? Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> the ugliness. Yeah. That is insane. There's no, yeah. there no air conditioner outside. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. And so I am like, oh my goodness! Yeah, you know, you've got to be kidding me! You know, 
Yeah. Then after you do that, then you have to put on primer, you yeah. know, you know, which is essentially painting. <laughs> you know, painting so, so you can paint. You got to paint before you paint. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you have to paint the house four times. Yeah, can't paint. Can't paint the house until you paint the house. It's it's one of the rules. I was like, oh man, okay, okay, yeah. okay. No, the the fact that we get paid to make shit up, you know, and sometimes you know we get paid to put on funny clothes and act the fool exactly or, you know, act silly, fall, you know. Fall, fall down a flight of stairs you know whatever whatever <laughs> as the last stunt i, I know I did, I fell down a flight exactly of stairs. So, so that's why when you work with actors and they start complaining i'm like dude you know There's i remember a, like val kilmer i i heard, you know heard him say something about wearing the bat suit i'm like do not wear that bad boy for free yeah you know what i'm saying but he's getting you know what Ten million dollars with a yeah. bat suit, and he yeah. complains that it's hot. Please, you know, yeah. go ahead yeah, and wear that a, thing. I d I don't have it in front of me, but there's a great quote. Uh, I think it was coming off of something Sean Penn had said about acting being hard, and someone asked Marcello Mastriani about it, and he was like, "So I wake up, and yeah, it's really early, but there's a car waiting for me, and they're really nice, and they have coffee waiting for me in the car, and then I go to this other place where a really beautiful woman lets me fall asleep in a chair." And then I wake up and I'm like 20 years younger and wearing incredible clothes. And then I am led to another room with bright lights and everyone's really nice to me. Mr. Mastriani, can we get you another cup of coffee? Yeah, sure. I'll have another cup of coffee. And then a woman 30 years too young for me kisses me passionately and tells me I'm the, the love of her life. And then three men who are 20 years younger than me lose a fist fight they could not conceivably lose against me in the real world. And then at the end <laughs> right. of the day, they give me another coffee and they, I go home in the car and he's like, what am, what am I complaining about in that day? Like know, what part know, of that I day know. is too tough on me? Like, I don't, he's like, this is the easiest goddamn thing in the world. You know, you know, when we were shooting underworld, uh, someone asked Scott Speedman cause I was in a makeup chair next to him. Yeah. And they asked him what, being on a TV show is like, you know, he did Felicity. Right. And he said, it is nine months of having to never hear the word no. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, that, you know, that's kind of profound, you know, and yeah. so, yeah. you know, you, you know, have a little perspective when it comes to what you're complaining about, because when compared to what other people are doing, it's like, dude, you know. Yeah. And it's weird. I mean, especially if you're used to being low man. And I did, I did this comedy short. I mean, it was a short film. We had maybe a four-day shoot. But yeah. it was the one time I was unambiguously the star of the thing. Right. comedy short. Even on that, the way I was treated by other human beings was so outside of my experience, you know? I know, and I know. I, like, on a short film, I was like, I you really don't, like, this is more weird humility and respect that you're giving me that I don't need this. You can, you know, we can be people together. We're making a short film. Like don't exactly, exactly, you know, exactly. I'm not George Clooney here. Just, you know, like let's, let's all look each other in the eye and be nice to one another. But it is people see that hierarchy and they are just, if you're number one on the call sheet, man, you are number one on the call sheet and there's no, yeah. doesn't, matter, yeah. doesn't matter what set you're on. That is a whole other way of living. Yeah, and, and, yeah, and, and there's there's the cliche that writers are treated terribly in Hollywood, and to to a degree that's true. Um, yeah. However, 
step outside Hollywood for one second. I mean, what one of my favorite things as a writer is getting to go into a new world, meet new people, you know, yeah. uh, uh, I, you know, I've talked about it before the, the script that broke Dick Ron and I was about a, a Russian Armenian, you know, gang war. And so w we didn't Google that shit. We went into the world. We met these people. We sat down yeah. with an Armenian bookie who introduced us to this guy, to that guy. And, um, you know, one of the things I'm working on right now is about an outlaw, uh, a motorcycle club. And so I'm going in and, and, you know, meeting, hanging out with hell's angels and, and, and spending right. time with, with those. And they are so excited to be sitting down with a writer. Oh, you work in Hollywood? Oh, you're going to write a movie about us? Let me show you this. Let me take you in here. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. If I drove out to Ventura and I knocked on the Hell's Angels <laughs> uh, uh, clubhouse door, uh, they would be like, "Who the fuck are you? Get the hell out of here!" They beat the shit out of me, drag me out. But if, if I call first and I'm like, "Hey, I'm a writer in Hollywood. I'm working on this. Can I come and hang out with you guys?" Red carpets rolled out. You know, wow. uh, let, let, you know, let, come on in. Let, let me show you this. Oh, let me take you in the back room where nobody's allowed. Let me tell you this thing that we've never told anybody. Let uh, uh, sit at this table that no one else is allowed to sit at and, and listen to us tell stories for three hours that are going to blow your mind. Oh, right. <laughs> oh, you want another beer? Oh, you want another beer? Oh, you want another beer? You know what I'm saying? Like, like, like that, that is, you know, the idea that this is our job, that, uh, that, yes. that, that, that people, you know, I mean, people are people are enamored with Hollywood, with storytellers, with all of these things, and yeah. and and that is all out there for us. Like well, that yeah. is that is our job. We don't have to we don't have to scrape the house before yeah. we paint it four times. <laughs> you know, we get to do this. One of my exactly. one of my favorite things during the recently ended strike was you would see dudes on the on the social medias, dudes on Twitter, or whatever we're calling it these days. Like saying, you lazy fuckers, get back to work and no one needs you. You're all going to be replaced by AI. And every single person doing that, their avatar picture was like a movie actor from a movie. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm always like, you realize you've made like your entire persona. Some dude like me created that thing. Like right. AI didn't create that thing. You know, yeah, like, you oh, what are you a writer? Yeah. I'm like, a writer created literally the thing in your avatar and an actor playing that part, and it means so much to you. You have replaced your own human face with right. Chris Evans and Jack Kirby. Uh, and, I know, but, but... <laughs> you know, like get a get a fucking grip on yourself, man. You're you're well, a huge fan. I know, I know, and but people funding. don't realize. You know, you know, they, a lot of times they take us for granted. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, you know, they don't realize what they're saying. Like, I remember during one of the um, grocer, grocery strikes, you know, you know, one of the union that presides over that. I don't know whether it's Teamsters or retail clerks or something like that. Uh, they were striking at pavilions, you know, where I shop. Mm -hmm. And so... <laughs> You know, I crossed the picket line because I had kids. I need to get some milk <laughs> and some diapers. So yeah. I went in. So one of the ladies who was really nice before the strike, she started yelling at, oh, you're going to cross our picket line, Mr. You know, Mr. Actor, Mr. TV man. And I said, when we were on strike, did you stop watching TV? <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you know, she gets all, you know, flustered and angry and all that i might say yeah <laughs> you know yeah that's no, that was funny that's yeah but yeah so the so the you were writing other stuff while you were doing the acting work and then underworld's the first sale yes underworld was and, the first sale 
And where does the transition to writing for, you know, Marvel and DC come in? Where's that? Uh, after Underworld, um, I had a friend who was starting a, a comic book company with his partner. And I was, I was like, you know what? I'd like to get in on this, you know? And so, you know, took some of, you know, the money I made and started, you know, I, I think I created six IPs, one of which was Alias Rex, mm -hmm. <clears throat> you know, but I didn't know what I was doing, you know, then in terms of how to structure a comic book, you know, I was so, you know, so much of a greenhorn at it. I thought the way it worked is that you only had to have the money for the first issue mm -hmm. and the money you made from the first issue would pay for the second issue. And basically, basically, you know, it's self-generating after that. It's like, oh, no, that's not the way it works. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you have to have eight to 12 issues in the can, you know, before you see that kind of turnover and it becomes a machine. But anyway, uh, <clears throat> you know, I came up with those, you know, I think there were uh, six IPs, you know, one issue a piece, this, that, and the other. And then Marvel uh, got a hold of me. And I guess because I had a couple of articles in what was then Newsarama, mm -hmm. you know, CBR comics beat. So, you know, the word got around this, you know, the big black werewolf guy, you know, as a comic <laughs> book fan, you know, and maybe, and maybe, <laughs> yeah. And maybe we bring him in to do something. Yeah. And so, like I said, Marvel called, you know, and I did, you know, the new warriors, the new Warriors series. And then after that, a character I at least in part created when I was a kid, the Blue Marvel, yeah. I wound up pitching that to Marvel. They loved the idea. And, uh, you know, I went, you know, went for that. And then, you know, there were other, you know, small independent companies, you know, that I worked for uh, doing other things. And then, of course, I started my own company and doing my own thing. And uh, so that's where I am right now. You know, yeah, we should mention before we go to is that you, you have something on Kickstarter right now. Um, uh, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah, right now I'm doing a, a project called Gentara, <laughs> which I've kickstarted. And, you know, I'm really a fan of fantasy, you know, uh, detective stories, things like that. So what I did is combine those two. And I came with this idea, the story about a, a detective was on the heels of some serial killer that is terrorizing the Washington, D.C. area. And she becomes terminally ill with cancer, but simultaneously uh, discovers that she is a descendant of an ancient race of jinn, you know, which are genies. Mm -hmm. And, you know, now she has to decide how or if to use this power. You know, will she use it to help, you know, in her work, you know, but the risk is you know, uh, will she be, you know, will she succumb to his dark embrace? You know, what does that mean? Or will she, tr you know, try to reject it altogether? So it's that kind of moral dilemma that I deal with mm -hmm. in terms of how she deals with that and also, you know, how to, you know, deal with everything else that's happening in her life, her spiritual beliefs and all this. And so it's really exciting. You know, I, I did this, the, uh, the series, the original miniseries with Zenoscope. You know, the guys over there, um, Ralph Tedesco and Joe Brucia, you know, good yeah. friends of mine. Um, <clears throat> they saw the worth of it, you know, and we came out with the three issue miniseries. And, you know, but we but now we're trying to put it together in a uh, an OGN and mm -hmm. then add some new material, 
you know, yes. things of that nature. And so, you know, I want to get that out there and I want to start doing this, this, you know, crowdfunding. And I think that's really good for the future of the industry. Oh, absolutely. It's where the business yeah, is headed. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. We're, we're big yes. evangelists for uh, for crowdfunding and we both, yes. you know, we've both done it fairly successfully. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Kevin. Kevin knows how much I evangelize for uh, for oh, Kickstarter yeah. because oh, yeah. we, we, we we spent more than a few hours on the phone exactly, <laughs> with, exactly. with me, me trying to convince him to do this. When, do, yeah, when does the current the campaign? When does the current campaign end? The current campaign ends December first. Oh, okay. So plan. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not exactly <laughs> sure when this episode is going to air, but it'll definitely oh, okay, it'll definitely yeah, go yeah. up before December first. That's, that's a lot. That's a lot of time. Yeah, yeah. First is yeah, yeah, yeah. First or second, and so you know we're doing it there, and uh, you know we have Ron Garney doing a cover for us. Mm-hmm. You know uh, Larry Stroman, you know doing a cover for us. You know as incentives, you so, know perks yes. to send the other. So you know uh, it's been very exciting, very exciting. You know my first one. I hope to do many more, Lord willing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think you're going to find a really, uh, uh, you know, great fan base there. They, you know, the they the, the beauty of. I mean, you you were talking about, you know, oh, I just do a first issue. I mean, you you put a you put a book in a comic shop, right? And there's there's attrition, right? You sell yeah. whatever. You sell ten thousand copies of issue one. You sell five of issue two. Uh, five thousand of issue two. You, you sell you yes. know twenty five hundred of issue three. There's that problem with Kickstarter. Basically, if you do it right, you stay in touch, you stay current. Uh, your fan base grows every time, right? Right. So, yes. um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and single issues tend to do a little bit better than OGNs uh, uh, right. because of, because of price point, because you can sell people variant covers, all that stuff. Uh, yeah. So you, you got all that ahead of you. Um, yes, and I, yes, I think it's yes. going to be, and, and it's good that you're making the transition because the the comic industry, uh, you know, the traditional publishing industry is uh, is is having some some trouble right now. Yes, to say day. you know to say the least, and you know a lot of us who have been longtime fans don't really understand why, you know, because a lot of us feel that these are these are layup stories. You have a captive audience, you know, that will buy, you know, perpetually, you know, you know, even if they might not like what's going on, you know, they still want to tune in to see what happens and they'll pay money for it. Yeah. But the stories are such that they're not even fun anymore. Mm -hmm. And, and there's no traditional heroism, you know, you know, I like when, Good guys are good guys. Bad guys are bad guys. You know, you might have some gray areas every now and then that throws a wrench in it. Or maybe you tell a more grounded, realistic story. You know, like I'm one of those individuals that love the X-Men from 75, you know, to maybe 92 or 95 or something like that. But not every X-Men story needs to be God Loves, Man Kills. Right. You know what I'm saying? It's like... No, and, it's, and in fact, it's boring when every yes. story is that. Yeah, yeah it's exactly. It's boring when everything... I'm a, you know, one of my... I judge people... Um, I judge Marvel writers for how they write Nick Fury. Yeah. Because to me, my father was Greatest Generation, was a World War II right. veteran. And those guys <clears throat> aren't cynical and they're not you know yes nick fury's a spy and all this but 
He's still an FDR Democrat that believes right. that the government should do good. <laughs> you know, yeah. like that, that generation is defined by the idea that the biggest military force in the world and the richest government in the world can actually go out and do good things and right. accomplish good things. And you, when you make him this guy in Vietnam, like being, it's like, no, man, that's not. Nick Fury doesn't go to Vietnam. He's busy running S.H.I.E.L.D. and trying to do better than the U.S. Army. Exactly, like that's when exactly. he's not in the Army anymore. That's when he's not with the CIA anymore because it's too dirty for him, and that's why he's working for the U.N. at S.H.I.E.L.D. You know, exactly. that's the – and when they write yeah. him with that – when they write Nick Fury as a post-Watergate cynic, I'm like, that's not – Nick Fury's born in 1924, man. He's just not that guy. Like, you know, I don't, I know. you know, even the later iteration of them, even the Sam Jackson of them all, I'm like, I still want him to be, even if he's making tough choices, at heart, he is trying to save the world. And if you can't write him that way, if you write him as a guy with like a cynical government agenda, I'm like, then you don't get him. You don't. Like, but I, I think that goes for I think that goes for a lot of genre uh, right now. I think your your what's being ushered in is a a different kind of writer and editor where they have to apologize for the simplicity of the way things were before, mm -hmm. and in correcting it, I think they're going too far. Yeah. These were meant to be simple morality plays, comic books. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Where, you know, everything was simple. That didn't mean silly. You know, yeah. you can have, you know, you know, you can have, you know, complexity without things being complicated. Yeah. And they're trying to complicate things now. Yeah. Uh, you know, apologize for them not being a lot of blacks, you know, or other, you know, minorities or women. You know, uh, you know, um, you want to give explanations uh, for people's powers. Like, I think it's one thing for uh, Chris, Chris Claremont to be told, you know, well, how does, you know, Wolverine solid aluminum skeleton account for the fact that bone marrow is what generates red blood cells? He's like, right. yeah, OK, I might need to fix that. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, but once yeah. you start you know, getting in too much as to how Superman's powers work. Well, yeah. I, it's like, you know, uh, you know what, I, I don't want, you know, you don't need to do all that. Yeah. You know? uh, 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 all of the explanation. Yeah, it hurts everything. I mean, the, <sighs> the, fir the first Matrix movie, amazing. And, yeah. and, and, and then and then you spend you spend the next movies, even though they even though they are great in their own way, but yeah. you start to try to explain everything. You start, you, you know, how everything works. Let's peek behind the curtain. Let's do that. Exactly. And, and, and the problem ends up being that the answers you give people are not nearly as interesting as the answers they had sort of floating around exactly. in their head. Right? Exactly. You, you can exactly. only dis you can only disappoint people with that. Yeah. And if exactly. you, if you, yeah. I blame to a degree, and it's not his fault, but I blame Alan Moore because he did a few too many everything you know is wrong stories. And that became basically the only pitch anyone has for a classic comic book story is everything you know is wrong. Like, because Swamp Thing turns out wasn't Swamp Thing, that was a specifically brilliant yeah. inversion of that character. You've got a character who's searching for his humanity for 40 issues, 
And then Alan Moore goes, what if he was never human to begin with? What if he's a plant that conned itself into thinking it's alcohol? Right, 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 right. That's great. You can't do it to everyone. Yeah. Yeah. You can't. Like when you do that, what you come up with, well, what if Bruce Wayne's parents aren't actually dead? What if Krypton didn't explode? It's like, no, man, just leave some of that alone because it's. Right. And I saw a brilliant, this is related. I saw a brilliant take on Superman on uh, one of the social media sites. I wish I remember who said this, but they were talking about the boys and invincible and all that. And they said, you know, your, your deconstruction of Superman as what if he was a bad guy ignores the fact that Superman is the deconstruction. The classic story is that the strong guy is mean and takes over the world. The deconstruction is what if the most powerful man in the world who could do whatever he wanted decided to be a good guy? Right. That's actually the, <laughs> Superman is the That's deconstruction true. of every bully, every strong man. He's not Achilles who is selfish. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's not Hercules who is selfish and vain. He is the Agreed. opposite of all of those versions of super strength. And you're actually doing the most boring thing in the world when you go, what if Superman was bad? It's like yeah. we've seen Agreed. what if Superman is bad well, for yeah. all of human history. Yeah, we, we 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 seem to have trouble with like aspirational these days, you yes. know. Um uh like you know, what what could we be, you know, like what 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 are our best selves as a as a society, right? Uh it, it's it's interesting how how uh how little interest like the comic book machine, the the Hollywood machine has in stories like that. Uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of these, you know, and I blame, you know, it, it's hard to really point to where the problems are. I think you're right, David, that, you know, Alan Moore and British deconstructionism really led to, you know, some of the things that are going on because, and then someone else told me this the other day that I never really gave any credence to until he put it the way that he did. He says, once you started calling comic books, you know, OG, you know, graphic novels, mm-hmm. that tend to bring a kind of elitism yeah. into comics, you know, that wasn't there before. Yeah. So now the powers that be sought to grow them up, you yeah. know, and in so doing, they lost that aspirational you know aspect that you were talking about riley they lost the amount of you know you know heroism now it's yeah now instead of heroes you know now we start to question them in terms of being you know in terms of vigilantism and then now you start leading into fascism and it's like oh my goodness are you kidding me yeah. That's not what they're they're meant to do. You're reading too much into it. Yeah. But these are ushered in by people who never really liked comic books in the first place. Right. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And so they're coming in and they're and saying they'll tell oh, you that, by the way. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. Say, they will say I hate I you know, Alan Moore will yeah. tell you he hates comic books. He and they're, comic pra- books and they're proud of it. I remember hearing that from, you know, about you know, Axel Alonso once. Yeah. You know, he was a journalist, didn't like comics. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, you look at that and it's like, my goodness, you know, you know, look at what a lot of you people have done to the industry in the name of trying to grow it up. 
Yeah. But they were simplistic, cool morality plays. Didn't have to have much thought. There were Saturday matinees in comic book form, and you just want to enjoy them. And you know, you know, you know, drink your YooHoo, you know, a tasty <laughs> cake, you know, yeah. whatever it was, and that was it. You know, yeah, and, and the th- and the thing is, like, yeah. you can have yeah, that mean, sense of you can have that sense of fun, and you can still be hitting up things that are serious within a degree. I recently, out of sheer curiosity, they reprinted them, and I read the first few issues of Superman in Action Comics. Yeah, and he's. He's threatening wife beaters. And the third Superman story, Clark Kent is, a, this sounds like it was written yesterday. The third Superman story, Perry White says to Clark Kent, go down to South America. There's this war brewing in fake sounding country. Yeah. Clark Kent doesn't go to South America. He goes to Washington, D.C. and finds the lobbyist for an arms dealer who is making the Congress, who is bribing a congressman to start the war in South America. And he literally flies him over the Capitol Dome and holds him by his foot over the <laughs> Capitol Dome and says, I'm gonna take you down and you're gonna you're gonna confess to everybody that you've been making this war happen in South America to yeah. sell more arms. And the guy goes, No, you won't do it. And he drops him, you know, lets him fall a hundred feet, catches him again and says, like, how about now? And the guy's like, okay, okay, don't kill me. <laughs> you know, and again, they, he goes out after the wife beater. It's, you know, and again, it's very 1930s bully boy, like, yeah. how about flopping around someone your own size there, chief? Uh, and it's very implicit. I'm I'm Superman, and I'm going to beat the living shit out of you if you raise your hand to your wife one more time. You know, but, the, you know, in the first story, he literally the first Superman story is him exonerating a wrongly convicted woman on death row the first superman story is the death penalty is bullshit it is poorly applied to the wrong people yeah very first one and that's you know but it's still fun it's still he's flying around and punching gangsters in the face like that's still you know your social relevance is hidden under I'm picking up a car and throwing it at a guy. I, 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 yeah, I, I, I go back to Underworld. It's werewolves versus vampires. It's fun. It's yeah. everything we want out of a popcorn movie. But underneath, it is about something important. It is about exactly. something now. And and, and, and and that's the balance we have to strike. And I agree yeah. that we we too often, the pendulum swings too far in one direction, right? Yeah. 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 Kevin, yeah. Do you know, have you ever heard the story of why... Uh, how the Twilight Zone was created? Uh, no, I do not. Rod Sterling no, wrote a teleplay. I think it's called The Town Has Turned to Dust, but I could be remembering the title wrong, about lynching. And he tried to produce it, and they ripped the shit out of it. It was censored to hell and back. They right. made sure that it wasn't, instead of it being the South and a black guy, they made it a town in Massachusetts, and it's a... Hispanic guy and the the networks added a bunch of dialogue like oh this is a strange little town full of hostile people to make it sound like it wasn't about a societal problem. Right. He tried a second time. The same shit. Yeah, I never heard that story before. And the third time he went, you know what? I'm going to do my lynching story, and it's going to be about fucking robots and aliens, and no one's going to give a shit, and no one's going to change it. You know, I can talk about any social issue I want as long as it's ghosts, robots, and aliens. So I'm going to make wow. a show about ghosts, robots, aliens, devils, whatever the hell it takes. And I can address every social ill of the day as long as I don't make it real. 
you wow. know, as long That's as it's amazing. not, a, as long as it's a robot getting lynched and not a black guy getting lynched, I yeah. can do my lynching story. And it's, and I, and I, and I, you know, you know, that, that's fascinating because I, I guess uh, later on, they realized what he was doing and they freed him up to actually yeah. tell those yeah. real stories. Like, I think he did have a story about racism with blacks. Oh, yeah. I no, think the, he did have the a story series, about the yeah. concentration camp, yeah. you know, uh, ghost. Yeah. Yeah. As the series goes on, he sort of feathers, but it's still a fantasy show. You know what I mean? It's yes, still yes, yes. like, you know, we're still we're dealing with real issues now, but it's still a it's still a, a fantasy show. And that's how he's getting away with it. And that's how he's telling whatever story he wants to tell. Yes. And I always think about that. And yeah, the rules are different now. But I would argue even, <clears throat> even though you can now make a movie about lynching, and that's great, and you should, and all of that, it still has power packaged with genre elements. Exactly. It still tells the idea. It still gets the thought across. And yeah, there will be people, you know, you do occasionally meet a racist Star Trek fan and you're like, how are, how are you even enjoying the show about this racially diverse crew traveling across the universe? Like, how do you, I don't get what you're getting out of this. Maybe the cool uniforms and the laser guns, you know, maybe that's yeah. an exciting thing for you. But um, there will still be people that miss it. But genre always allows you, I always make the joke, you know, you can make a story about a guy wrestling with his demons, and what does that look like? He's sitting at a bar, he's got a drink in front of him, he's sitting in front of a typewriter, whatever. Or he can be wrestling with absolute with actual demons, and it's the same story. But the thing about the guy wrestling with actual demons, that's just as likely to make people think about the metaphorical demons in their own lives. Exactly. As the realistic thing. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, Buffy, Buffy loses her virginity to Angel, right? And yeah. and 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 every woman's fear is that they they be, they become intimate with someone, they take that step, and then he turns into a a metaphorical a monster. Uh, yeah, 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 uh, monster. Yes. Angel turns into a literal monster. It, it, it's he has a soul, but but if he experienced experiences true love, true joy, then his soul leaves and he becomes Angelus, and he turns into a literal demon the the second afterwards yeah uh, uh oh, and makes yeah. her feel terrible and it is it, it it's it's fucking poetry uh yeah. but it's also popcorn awesome and it's, you know uh drama it's uh, also it's, fascinating it's i don't know if you saw the first season of jessica jones but that absolutely fascinating yes. you know character created by brian michael bendis a male writer I read those issues and I love them, but it wasn't yeah. until I saw it as rendered by a female showrunner writing those episodes that I went, oh my God, the metaphor for domestic violence where the guy is literally capable of mind control. Yes. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. like what's the thing everyone says to a woman about their abusive husband? Why didn't you leave? Exactly. And to make exactly. the guy literally capable of mind control and telekinesis and all that, it's like, it's taking an ugly reality about the world and saying, this is what it's really like. It's like you can't, it's like you can't move. It's like you can't exactly. say what you're thinking. It's like someone is in control of you all the time. Yeah. And it's a, yeah, I agree. That's as good as any serious thing anyone has ever done about abusive relationships and domestic violence. That first season of that show. 
Like yeah, I would put that up true. against that's any true. very special episode of a nighttime drama <laughs> that was about uh, that was about abusive relationships. Right, but it's right because right. It's, a, it's the perfect metaphor for bad relationships. It's <clears> the perfect <throat> metaphor for the controlling husband, the guy that literally cannot be denied. But uh, but anyway, we're gonna have to wrap up our our uh, our our uh, musings about the many uses of pop culture. But uh, so Kevin, where can people find you on, on the web? Where can they follow you? Uh, you know, I'm at the, uh, the usual places, you know, Twitter, uh, Instagram, Facebook, you can find me. Uh, my website is darkstormcomics.com, you know, where you can look at, you know, and see upcoming projects that I'm working on, you know? Uh, so, Hey, come check me out. And there's and probably the a link. To, yeah, go ahead. The Kickstarter is called. The Kickstarter is called Gentara, Rise of the Gen. Great. And, and when we're uh, watching you know, this, I'll you put will, the. I'll send you guys a link, link to that, put that you know, in the. Uh, you know, when you you know air this, and now yeah. that'll be a good thing. Yeah. 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 Now we'll, we'll try and drive some eyeballs to you. And yeah. Ryland, where can people find you? Uh, I am at Ryland Grant on all forms of social media. That is R-Y-L-E-N-D-G-R-A-N-T. I always spell it because it's not a real name. My parents just kind of drunkenly arranged letters and saddled me with it. And so now I have to spell it for everybody. Uh, but yeah, um, I am going to, I will uh, uh, rejoin the Kickstarter world um, probably not till early uh, next year, probably sometime in January uh, with the, the next Peacekeepers run. Uh, we're kind of, right. up against, kind of up against it now. Is, I don't want Is there an Immortal Studios thing going on? Oh, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. There is a. Uh, <laughs> they help you, man. Yeah, yeah. The, um, yeah, I forgot about all the Immortal Studios. There's a lot of. Immortal Studios is doing this huge stage show uh, in downtown Los Angeles. We have uh, uh, actual monks from the Shaolin Temple and the abbot of the Shaolin Temple in China. Uh, they're all in town and they're going to put on a, a wonderful <clears throat> kung fu uh, epic uh, uh, show for you. That is. Um, it will probably have occurred uh, by the time you're watching this, but there'll be videos of it everywhere and it's going to be amazing. But that is all to set up uh, the latest and greatest uh, Immortal Studios um, uh, Kickstarter. It is going to be four issues. Uh, the next I issue of all of your Immortal favorites, including uh, my Kung Fu, uh, my Wuxia Kung Fu epic uh, Fa Sheng Origins issue two um uh is in that set and so you guys should go and uh and, and take a look at that and back it and get all the goodies um fashion's a great series you know it's some of the best writing i've done so uh so go check that out um what do you got avaloni uh i am very easily googled as david avaloni i'm on all of the social medias um the new comics are all coming out next year like i said elvira meets hp lovecraft is february drawing blood which is uh my very exciting comic that i co-created with kevin eastman which is vaguely autobiographical for kevin uh comes out from image comics in march fingers oh, crossed uh yeah no it'll be it'll be fun and should run for 12 issues straight through and uh what else there's some more stuff on the horizon oh and i'm i don't know if this will have aired by then but november 18th i'm appearing at of all places whittier comic fest oh wow come by and we can talk about the birthplace of nixon and comic books and uh i'm also doing the uh 
this will be after this airs. Definitely, I'll be at LA Comic Con from uh, December first through December third. Oh, so good, good, good. Down there, and I'll have some stuff on me to sell, and always happy to sign whatever you bring by. Are you are you going to be at LA Comic Con, Kevin? Oh yeah, I'll be yep. there. You know, uh, tabled. You okay. know, plenty of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Selling pr plenty of merch. Doing comic, a great thing. You yeah. know, so bring bags of know. money, everybody. Well, I look forward to <laughs> I look forward to meeting you in person there, Kevin. I can. Oh, you, you also, man. You also. We will definitely be there together. But thanks everyone for listening. Thank you so much, Kevin, for joining us. Oh this no, no, great. thank you. It's great really to have you. Yep. Really great guest to have for our first episode back for our 101st episode. Oh, that's great. Right that's back. great. So okay. thanks everyone for listening and watching, and we will see you on the next exciting episode. See you soon. Okay. Thanks for having me. You guys take care. If you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to smash that like button. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts or other fine purveyors of ear crack, please leave us a five-star review. And wherever you're watching and or listening, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. We'll see you back here next week for more madcap hijinks on the Writer's Block. For more information, visit PendantAudio.com. Thanks for listening.